Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mom of the Hard Kid. Today, we're going to be talking about when people don't believe you. (laughs) Because I think when you have a child who has massive amounts of high needs, especially that can happen with reactive attachment disorder or any kind of mental illnesses or difficult things, people do not understand. And when they don't understand, they tend to get a little bit judgy and a little bit critical. And it can really break you down because you are in a place where you're already feeling desperate. You already have your child and you're already so astonished by their behaviors that you want to turn around and say, hey, everybody, look at these behaviors. Aren't they crazy? And they're like, you're crazy. (laughs) And you're like, I am crazy now because because of these behaviors, like I am crazy now. And they're like, yeah, you're just crazy. You're you're crazy. And or else they'll give you like that polite smile. You got to love the polite smile. And you're just feeling so desperate. And you're like, no, I want you to believe me. And they don't. <laughs> so you sit there just living life. It's really hard. It's really hard because you can't even believe everything that's happening yourself. You are astonished and you are astonished even more when the people you care about most can't connect. When I started this and my daughter started having her symptoms, and I'll give you a little brief background for people who don't know. I am the mom of four. My youngest one is adopted. My older three are biological. My youngest one was neglected and she also was exposed to drug and alcohol while in utero. And she was also transferred around to multiple caregivers in the first year of her life. So she has ended up with many mental health issues, including a large umbrella term we like to call reactive attachment disorder or disinhibited social engagement disorder. She has things like ODD, PTSD. I need to write these down. (laughs) I can't come up with them. Anxiety, all those. She has a bunch of, of things that have made life a lot harder for her and a lot harder for me. And it has been an adventure to say the least. I want to say meaner words to describe it, but I'm not going to. I'm going to keep it kind of mellow, but no, there are meaner words to describe it. So when these symptoms started coming out at like 18 months old, I was burnt out. She would do things that were absolutely dangerous to herself. She had no sense of self-preservation. She would scream and cry and yell for most of the day. It was a lot. And I would go and I would tell people, Oh, guess what little kid did? She she grabbed a medicine bottle, which was empty, and shoved it down her throat. Like, and I had to pull it out of her mouth because she just like, it wasn't even that she was playing with it. She literally shoved it down her throat, you know, or um, we've had a couple of incidents with poison control, you know, and you, and you say these things to your friends and you say them to your family and they're like, uh-huh. Uh huh. And then you start to look like a crazy person. And in my situation, my youngest daughter 
is the one who's adopted. And I think people were like, oh, this lady should not have adopted. And I can assure you, there were times when I thought, oh, this lady should not have adopted. What is this? (laughs) This was a lot. And even listening to me now, I'm, I can't go into the details that would be required to have you understand the experience that I was going through. I can't have you do that. But the truth is, when you are encountering these people, you don't need them to validate you. You want them to validate you. And that's okay. But know that it's probably not going to happen. So I was able to come to this Because like I said, at the very beginning, I couldn't talk about anything else. I remember driving on a five hour drive with my mom and my aunt. And my aunt is in the front seat by me and I am verbal vomiting everything. Stuff she's done, stuff I've read, stuff I've researched, stuff I've found out, like anything, anything I've come across. I am just like... It is like spilling out of me like a waterfall and I can't stop it. And for four of those five hours, I am just nonstop talking. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And luckily, my aunt is super sweet. And she's like, it's okay. Like, it's nice to know these things. You know, she was really nice. But I would do this everywhere. People would be like, how, how are you doing? And I would tell them and they don't want to know for real, you know, and <laughs> but I couldn't help it. You guys, I was so desperate. I was so desperate to find someone who understood. I was so desperate to get it out. I was so desperate that people would see and understand why I was so desperate. I was so desperate. Like it is the most alienating experience to raise a child like this because nobody understands. And what happens is you'll tell a story and they'll pick the pieces that they can relate to. And I think that's kind of, you know, natural. I think we all try to understand. And so when you're like, oh, my daughter had a tantrum and they're like flipping in their little Rolodex in their mind and they're like, oh, a tantrum. My child has had a tantrum. I understand tantrums. Oh, a tantrum. And you're like, it lasted eight hours. And they're like, oh, wow, that is long. And you can tell that they're like, I can tell you're desperate. And I bet you're lying. (laughs) And You're like, I'm not lying. I'm not. And you just get in this weird cycle of, oh, my gosh, why doesn't everyone believe me? Because and I'll talk about this more later, I hope. But when you are in a constant state of hypervigilance, it causes trauma. And you become traumatized by raising your child. So you have that trauma and then that trauma sort of like leeches out and you have for real consequences because of the trauma you experience by raising a really, really, really difficult child. So one of the ways that I finally came to terms with this is I am, oh God, a couple of years in. For a couple of years, I was just so desperate. I would call therapists and be like, hey, therapist, this happened. And they just didn't, they didn't understand and they couldn't understand. And I found, um, actually, it was our very first therapist that we tried. She seemed to understand 
I mean, long term, I realize she just has no clue, but she kind of understands that there's like a gap there and she kind of doesn't. But I thought, oh my gosh, she knows this. She knows this. I can kind of put this on her plate because I am so overwhelmed by this only to find out that she just knows there are extreme behaviors. She doesn't get it. So there you are stuck in life being the only one in your circle who quote unquote gets it. So I thought back to an experience I had where I was diagnosed with celiac disease. Well, this was several years ago before I ever adopted. And I remember I was so sick. I was so sick and I was in the hospital and nobody could figure out what was going on because it didn't manifest in normal ways and just awful. For years, I'm trying to figure out what is going on with me. And for years, doctors are telling me I have anxiety. You have anxiety. Do you have depression? I'm like, I don't think that's what this is. But looking back, I'm like, absolutely, I had anxiety. But it was because I felt so terrible and I had no answers. So as time went on, I got my diagnosis of celiac disease. And then I couldn't stop talking about that either, because it just so happened to align with the great conflict of celiac disease, where it's coming up more and more and people were being incredibly snarky about it. So I was like, oh, I need to educate everybody. I need to tell everybody so that they know why I am not eating wheat at this gathering, you know, and I found out that a lot of people would fight me about my celiac disease. Oh, I don't believe that. Oh, it's silly. It never happened. I think people are being babies. This is just some big old thing that the left people want to do and they don't like to eat milk and they don't like to eat wheat and it's just silly, you know, and I ended up with people arguing with me about my celiac disease And to me, when I found out I had it and I was able to make adjustments, it was life-changingly positive to make these adjustments. And I thought to myself, why in the world am I taking hits as in like to my, to my heart from people who have no idea what they're talking about? Why am I taking information from somebody who has no experience and no clue. And why am I, why is that hurting my heart when I have a clue and I know, and it's undeniable that this has shifted my life for the better. And that when I accidentally come in contact with it again, it shifts my life for the worst. Like, why is that happening to me? I don't need their assurance that I have pain and I have things. Those, those are real. They have no clue. So after even, I'm embarrassed to say this took me so long to connect these dots. After a couple of years with my little lady being so crazy and so outrageous and so unmanageable by one person and by a household of people, I finally said to myself, I cannot wait for them to validate my experience. I am, they have no clue. They don't know. A lot of this child's behaviors don't even happen in front of my husband. 
they they have no clue. And why am I waiting for them to validate my experience? It's just not going to happen. So I shifted and I thought I, you know, I had gone through that point where I'm trying to educate people just like I did with the wheat. And I hit the point where I'm like, I don't need to. And when people are like, how are things going? And I'm like, fine. Like I just shifted. If someone wanted to ask me a question, I'm happy to answer it. If somebody really valued me and cared about me, I would be happy to answer. I remember one time I was at church and it was, it had been a very rough set of weeks and it had been a really rough morning and I had ended up in a very emotional place because it had been really hard during the service. So I come out into the lobby and it's still part of the service. I have little one with me and out or up comes this lady in church and she's been down the hall and she's headed into the room and she's she sees that I'm crying because that's always super fun and she starts asking me questions and it turns out that she did have some relatable points. I mean, her her relatable person was much older than mine, but she had some relatable points. And it was, it was really lovely to be able to talk to her about that. And there are some people out there who will know. But you can't wait to have someone validate your experience. You are going through this difficult experience. You wouldn't be searching out something like this podcast if you weren't going through this type of experience or know somebody who's going through this type of experience. You don't become a crazy person because you had nothing happen. It It's just not the case. I know that some people have like mental health things that they fall into But now that I know more about mental health and I've observed some pretty crazy things, I see that that ebbs and flows too. And it usually is caused by something as well. And for those of you who have additional mental health issues that were there before this happened, just I give you a hug. Like that is, this is hard stuff. And keeping it yourself together is very impressive. Waking up every day when your child is in your face every day. (laughs) It's, It's impressive. You should be proud of yourself. You should be proud of yourself because there are a lot of parents out there who have children who have, um, reactive attachment disorder and other, other major disorders whom they, they fear for their life. When they go to bed at night, they are afraid that they're not going to wake up in the morning because of the actions of these children. And so, it's very impressive and it's very courageous. And don't forget to give yourself credit for those things because the difficult part is difficult and it's heavy and it weighs you down and it crushes your soul and it takes you apart. But don't forget to see how strong you are. And now you might be bending to the wind, my friend, and you might have actually even broken off (laughs) and just stand there of a stump of a person. But your roots are still working and there might be some little branches that are coming out from the broken parts of your trunk. Like you are doing better than you feel. You are stronger than you feel 
because this is an endurance game. This is like when they reference the marathon and you're like, I'm, I'm sprinting my entire marathon. Of course I'm dying. Like, of course this is awful. Of course it is. But it's quite an impressive feat. I was listening to somebody give a talk and they were like, they, they made this reference and they were like, some of you are enrolled because they were speaking to college students in Parenting 101. And some of you are enrolled in Parenting 505. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm enrolled in Parenting 505. <laughs> it is impressive just to take the class, right? Like when you start college and you're like, oh, you know, it's nice to be at college. It's a good thing to be at college. But when you hit those upper levels, I mean, parents, some of you are in the master's program of parenting. And this is a very impressive place to be, even though it's awful, and it's hard. And it's lasting a what feels like a lot longer than 18 years. So don't forget to pat yourself on the back about that. I also want to talk about because it's all fine and good when the person doesn't really know you and you don't really interact with that person. Like it could be family, but maybe they live in a different house. But it can be really, really difficult when the person who doesn't believe you lives in your own house. And I feel like I want to talk more about this later too. <laughs> I always do this. I'm like, I'm gonna talk about it later. And then I talk about something else. But I, I hope to eventually talk about more about this later. But when it's your spouse and your spouse doesn't believe you and you're so desperate and your spouse is supposed to be that person who buoys you up and who holds on and strengthens with you and who fights the world with you and they don't believe you and they think you are just crazy and you feel crazy. You are crazy and they see you turn crazy but they don't realize that something made you turn crazy. So if a spouse is listening to this right now, I'm going to say your person was somebody different before this happened. And then when this happened, they became a different person. So please accept that the difficulty of what had happened has shifted your person. And you might not like it very much, but I can assure you they hate it. They hate it so much. And it's hard. It's so hard. And I can, I wish <laughs> for my own personal use and for everybody else that I had a ton of ideas of how to make that better. But I think the best thing you can do is say, my spouse is fighting a fight I don't understand. And they're fighting against an enemy that I don't see. But I trust my spouse because my spouse used to be a sane person and now they're a crazy person and something made them that way. And my spouse keeps saying that it's this kid. And you don't want to think bad about kids. You don't want to be, you don't want to think as the person who's crazy that the child has made you crazy. And you don't want to think as the spouse of someone who's who's really impacted by these children, that a child could do this to your, to your person. Like it doesn't, it seems so crazy because it is crazy. 
but just know that it does happen. It indeed does. These kids can be so hard that they just really mess with your mental health. And and one thing that really helped me is there was a time when my husband was stressed out at work. He had so much going on in his outside of the house life. And he came in and he had an I just want you to know I like my husband a lot, so I don't want you to be mean to him. (laughs) He had kind of scolded me for being grumpy. And then we woke up on Saturday and he was in with the kids and I was still in bed. And he he was getting so impatient. He was getting so impatient and he comes back into the room and he's talking about how impatient he is. And I was like, why? And he was like, oh, it's overwhelming. They were doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this. And I said, that's why I get mad. I said, and you only lasted an hour. (laughs) I like the guy. He's a wonderful man. But that did open some eyes a bit. But I do want to caution those of you who are feeling desperate. Because I made this mistake so many times is when you go to your spouse or to your parents or to whatever, and you are feeling desperate, I can assure you 99.95. How about that? Percent of people have no idea what to do with somebody who's desperate. They don't understand and it does not help your cause. When you go to a therapist, your therapist is going to see your desperation as your own problem and not as a symptom of a larger problem. And it's stupid. And I hate it. Because I think, you know what, I am, if I'm at the point where I'm willing to talk to somebody in the therapy department, with this much stuff, know that I've been broken already. But they don't know you, you know, (laughs) they don't understand. But I wish, I wish someone would have. So I'm going to say to you from far away, I believe you. I believe you because I was so astonished that a child's behavior could be so terrible. And what was really crazy is when you can tell people about the fecal smearing and you can tell people about the, you know, the the threats to kill you or the or when, you know, your little one attacks the family pet, like those things freak out other people and they can kind of start wrapping their heads around things. But that isn't the exhausting part. That is the exclamation point at the end of a really long book of exhausting parts, a whole chapter. Because the exhausting part is the every minute of every day part. Now I know some of you have your kids in school. My kid just started school a week ago. (laughs) But she had been home with me almost every minute of every day up until that point with a few with definitely some exceptions. Um, She did attend a little preschool for a few hours a week last year. But a bulk of the time, it was me and it was her and it was non- stop. And it was a lot. (laughs) And, and you, when you are parenting this, it becomes those moments that wear you through and take everything that is left inside you. I like to think of it like a bucket. I'm sure you guys have heard the bucket reference. 
And you're like, and our therapist is like, it's like a bucket that has holes in it. And they're referring to the kid and their need for attention and love or validation or whatever it is. But there's holes in the bottom of the bucket. And I don't know that my bucket has holes in it necessarily. I think I scoop it out my everything that I have into the other bucket that has holes. But then I think someone comes along with like a towel and like dries up whatever moisture (laughs) was on the side of my bucket. Like there's nothing left. You have nothing left to give. But when you say to people, oh, well, I'm super exhausted because every time I tell my daughter that she cannot wear this particular set of shoes, it like, let's, for example, snow boots in the mud. I bought her nice brand new snow boots. She wants to tromp in the mud in them. She has shoes to go in the mud. So I say, no, you can't wear these. And then it's like a 45 minute fight about how she wants to wear those shoes. And then and then the next fight happens and the next fight happens and the next fight happens and the next fight happens. Those are the things that that squish your soul and dry you up. Like those are the things. And people people are like, oh, yeah, for sure. I can relate to the part where my kid wants to wear shoes they're not supposed to. But they cannot seem to relate to the eight hour tantrums. They can't wrap their head around it. So they pick the part that they understand. And you really feel people try to validate you, but you know, they don't get it. You know, it's not the same. And yet they try really hard and they just can't do it. It's a really lonely place to be. But again, don't forget how, how much effort it takes and how powerful you are and how smart you must be for enrolling in the, in the really difficult parenting class. (laughs) So I'm going to, I'm going to have another episode where I talk about spouses and go into more in depth about, about that. But I really do hope that for those of you who are the spouse of the primary parent, that you know that your person is struggling and that you know that it is because these things are genuinely difficult and they are genuinely hard and they genuinely need you to just say, okay, I believe you. You don't have to understand, just have to believe them. And if you are the parent who is the primary parent and you're trying to get that spouse or that person to believe you, know that it, they can't. They're not there all the time. They don't see. You didn't know life was like this before you got in this position they don't know. And sometimes they'll do the best they can and still not know. So as hard as it is, and as much as you want to be validated, and as much as I say, absolutely, you should be validated. People can't offer it, you have to find, you know, these other mothers like me who, who get it, because nobody else is going to know that your train can derail that far. Nobody else is going to know that the pit can be that deep. They're just not going to know. So I really hope that as time goes on, you can find out a good balance between the reality of your situation, 
the validation that can come from you yourself and your personal experiences and have a balance with the person who cannot understand. I wish you all the best and hope everything good comes in the future. Thanks for listening.